that'd be lovely. Good morning, everyone. My name is Graham, and uh, one of the pastors here, and joyfully functioning in a particular role of community and reaching out to our, our community with the good news, the best news in all the world. Today is a new day. Can I hear an amen on that one? Just so lovely to wake up to the clear sunshine, or the clear skies, and the warm sunshine. Um, uh, just right here in beautiful Queensland. Well, we have been going through the book of Colossians and um, with a title that says there's more. And uh, we're very grateful that in our Christian life and journeying with him, there's always more. And we're very excited that um, today is, in a sense, a gospel Sunday. And you're looking at the trees and wondering what's going on. Well, I want to say thank you to my good friend Bill Pryor, who's a tree lopper. So if you need any trees lopped down, see Bill after the service. But I'm intrigued at this beautiful, uh, well, sort of beautiful fruit that's on the tree. And uh, when we went out to Epinara in um, Central Australia, we were going through the book of uh, just the three chapters of Genesis. And and uh, describe the story of the first three chapters of Genesis with the two trees that were in the garden. But in the New Testament, there's another tree which is called the cross. And the Apostle Peter, he referred to the cross as a tree. So we're going to uh, think a little bit about that today as we look at the book of Colossians in chapter, chapter 1. Um, on the screen, uh, you've got that beautiful picture of a butterfly that began as a grub and, and just went through an incredible uh, sort of transformation process. Um, it's always lovely to be involved in things that change. I, I don't know if you're into restoration. I know there's a good friend who I thought was coming this morning. He's got an old Tirana under his house and he's in the business of restoring. But some years ago, I was back home with my dad. This is back some 10 years ago before he went to heaven. And I went to the shed, and uh, I discovered something in the shed, which was um, a tramer bill that I actually created and made when I was in grade 10. Did any of you do that sort of woodwork project and you had to do something in grade 10, um, which was to create something? And, so um, that's a long time ago now, I want to say, but in the shed, my tramer bill was scattered in all the different corners of the shed. Uh, and I, I saw a little bit of wood here and a little bit of wood there, and I saw the tray bit on the top, and, and I, I felt a little bit sad, you know. This creation I'd made 40 years before was now discarded in the shed, and it was just a total mess. So I thought, I'm going to take that back home, and I think I might be able to restore it. So I gathered up all the bits and pieces, and over COVID, this was a little project of mine to glue it all together, to get square it up, and to uh, rub it back and rebarnish it. And there it is. It changed. It was transformed. And uh, it's in my lounge room now, and, and the kids love pushing it around because it's got a set of wheels on it. But uh, I don't know if you've been involved in a restoration pro uh, process of something. It's always a joy to see people change from a place of being down and discouraged and overwhelmed by darkness uh, and sin and oppressed by the devil and to have those chains broken off. Isn't that good? And some of you may have come this morning and you may align with this tree, which we're going to talk about, but we're going to invite you to come to this tree so that you might experience this tree. And God is in the process of re rebuilding. It's this beautiful verse on the screen that says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. The power of transformation. I love the song that was uh, written some years ago by Bill, uh, Bill Gaither. Some of you may enjoy the Gaithers. My kids say, Dad, come on. Uh, Bill's an old fella now. <laughs> but, uh, I love the, the lyrics and I love the songs. But he, he wrote this song, Shackled by a heavy burden, Neath a load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, And now I'm no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me 
and made me whole. Isn't that beautiful, the touch? And uh, just to let you know, Jesus is in the room. He's, he's present with us today. And our prayer before the service in my lead-up time is that you will sense the presence of Jesus and the touch of his hand on your life. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you're still under the tree, which is the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which will lead you to death, that you will come to the tree, to, to the cross, and be delivered and set free from all of your sin and experience the life-giving power of Jesus. So the gospel does transform. It's the touch of Jesus. Well, this uh, series that we've been going through in Colossians has been very inspiring. And the title, yes, there's more. Today we're going to look at uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, uh, 21, just three verses, 22, 23, uh, which is particularly powerful for us today. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and without accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. We're going to un unpack those three verses this morning, and uh, we're going to talk about alienation, we're going to talk about reconciliation, and then we're going to talk about continuation, the journey of transformation, you becoming like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is very present in the room, and we thank you that when we're born again, Christ is present within our hearts. If there are those here today, Lord, that are not sure about where they stand, not sure that if they were to die, that they would go to heaven, I pray, Lord, that there will be an embrace this morning of the good news, to be reconciled to God, to be washed and, and purified from all of our wrongdoing and sin to turn from that way of life and to come to Jesus and to lay our lives down. I pray, Lord, that you would move powerfully in our service today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were at Epinara, and, uh, which is in central, uh, central Australia, with um, a tribal group of people, there were about 500 people that attended the Easter conference this year. Uh, the story of the two trees, or the three trees, really impacted the people. Many of them came to the cross, um, you know, and over a hundred people just came over the three or four days, and they laid down their lives and accepted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and King. Uh, the transformation that we've heard as a result of that has been nothing less than miraculous. It's always lovely to hear those stories, those good news stories that come back. And today we're going to uh, just unpack that as well for us uh, this morning. The first thing that the Apostle Paul indicates is really the bad news, and that is we were, it's past tense, alienated from God. Uh, that we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Sin always alienates. And Isaiah 59, it says in verse 2, your iniquities have separated you. From God. In the very, very beginning, you know, when God created Adam and Eve, he created some beautiful paradise, this extraordinary, beautiful place uh, where there was no imperfections, no sin, no darkness, nothing. It was so beautiful. Within the context of that paradise experience, he placed two particular trees in the center of the garden, or at least one, which was the tree of life. But he also placed this tree also which was called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam, speaking to him directly, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, uh, you will surely die. Death always creates separation. 
That's separation from life. And God said to Adam, if you eat of that tree, you'll be alienated, you'll be separated from me. The New Testament says clearly that the wages of our sin is death. The wages of our independence, living independent of God, going our own way, um, will result in separation from God. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, we find the unfolding story of Satan tempting Eve to eat. If you eat the fruit of this tree, you will not die. You will become just like God. You'll be in charge of your destiny. You'll be able to do as you please. You'll act as an independent individual. You'll be in charge. As she looked at the fruit and she desired to become wise, she desired to take control, she ate of the fruit and gave to her husband who was there at the tree also. It was like a reversal of roles. Adam was given the command and he should have stood up. Someone has written a book called The Silence of Adam. Instead of him speaking up and warning Eve, he, he was complicit in ate of the fruit and immediately after eating the fruit, they became self-conscious. Their attention was drawn away from God, from being a worshipper. As God would come into the garden in the cool of the day, there was that beautiful fellowship and intimacy, no alienation, no separation. But now something had happened. They became self-conscious. They were aware of themselves. So they got fig leaves and covered up. And then, because they were ashamed, they went and hid. Sin always has that kind of effect of creating self-consciousness, self-awareness. That little letter in the middle of the, of, the, of the word sin says it all. It's all about me. And so we know what transpired as a result of that. As they hid behind some bushes, ashamed, hearing God coming into the garden in the cool of the day, instead of being in his presence and enjoying that closeness and that intimacy with the Father, they were not there. The first question asked in the Bible, which is very, very powerful and significant, is, Adam, where are you? That's a good question, even for us this morning to evaluate. Where do I sit between the trees? Am I still lingering at this tree? Have I come to this tree? Is there a point in my life where I've come and surrendered my life, recognizing my own sinfulness and needing Jesus to wash away my sin, and I sit beautifully in the presence of God, enjoying the tree of life. Where are you? How do you see yourself this morning? This is a good news story. This is a great invitation to leave our sin and come and repent and receive the gift of eternal life. Well, he popped up from behind the bushes and, and he said, I was ashamed and and, uh, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't come to you. Who told you that you were naked? And um, have you eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And then he turned that into an opportunity to blame his wife. And he blamed Eve. And that's what often husbands... Is that right? Husbands do that very often? They, no, that's right. No, us husbands, we don't do that, do we? Well, you know, he uh, blamed his wife and then Eve blamed the devil. There's always this point, finger pointing going on uh, around. And, and, you know, I just encourage you to own yourself and own who you are and own what you have done. That, it would have been a, a life-changing moment for Adam and the grace of God, I'm sure there would have been right there and then a way of escape. It's true, I was foolish, I was stupid, I was rebellious. <laughs> I wanted to be God as well. And I, as Satan lured and enticed Adam and Eve, so he lures and entices us to be the boss, to take control, to be the king. But there can only be one king. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the king. And he wants to take control. Sin is a terrible thing. I was just walking, talking to a good friend this week. He said, Graham, I'm coming across so much brokenness. I've seen an acceleration in the last, I don't know, probably 
five years of brokenness. And you come this morning, perhaps you see, you no, know, Graham, I, I feel so broken. I feel like as if I've identified myself as being the boss. I've acted independently and I've made my own life decisions and I've gotten involved in addictive behavior. I've gotten caught in sin. You know, the Lord Jesus uh, listed out 13 things that he saw that came from the heart of people. Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 22, he said this, For from within and out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That's a call on the human heart. And Jeremiah says, that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Do you identify with that? I do. I wouldn't trust my heart. I know deeply, instinctively, I'm a selfish individual, and I want my own way. And God has called me to repent and give up my self-centeredness and become a God-centered man. And what a challenge that is on a daily basis. And we're afflicted with this terrible disease called sin. And God called to Adam. I think it was a haunting call, you know, because they had such great fellowship. Adam, where are you? It's, it's not just Adam being away, but God is feeling the pain of separation as well. And God longs for that intimacy with you. He loves you. He created you. He wanted you to be born. You're born for purpose, for God's purpose, not your selfish purpose, not to identify yourself with Lucifer and Satan, the father of lies. And he's sneaking around and slithering, whispering all kinds of thoughts in your mind. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Alienated from God. Oh, there was a dramatic moment of separation when God called them to an account. Adam and Eve stood before a holy God and he said, you must leave. You cannot stay here anymore. You've identified yourself with the devil. You've now taken on your right to be God, then God you shall be. You will run your lives and do it your own way. And under the weight of sin, oh, sin, how horrible, how awful is sin. I pray that God would give us all a hatred for sin, that we will not, we will not patronize it, we will, not, we will not kind of caress it, we will actually run from it. And God said, you must leave this beautiful paradise. And these two bedraggled figures, you know, with a weight of burden, it's a bit like John Bunyan's book, you know, Pilgrim's Progress. Some of you might have read that book, you know, the great burden that Christian was carrying as he left his home to go to the celestial city, waited, waited down, and I watched people in the mall, in the shopping centers in my streets, waited down with dealing with people with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and all kinds of other things, and the weight is obvious on their shoulders. Ah, oh, sin, how horrible, how devastating. What an effect it has on a family on a father and on a mother, upon a child, upon a young person, when they're told by this absolute lie you can be a boy or a girl. You know, we live in a very, very fallen world, and only Jesus can rescue us. And what a joy to have Jesus in the midst and right there in the middle of that judgment. In Genesis 3.15, God in his great love says, you know, when he's giving judgment to Satan, he said, a son is going to be born. A woman is going to be given birth to a child, a son. And this son will crush your head. But you will strike at his heel. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we've got a beautiful introduction of the thin red line that weaves its way through a period of 4,000 years and finds its way into a person called Jesus. 
our Jesus, my Jesus, that he would die and pay for my brokenness and my sin at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received by sight and now I'm happy all the day, alienated. Can you see them now as they leave the garden? The father is in his heart deeply, deeply distressed. The picture of it is almost like the prodigal son as the son makes his choice and says, I want to be God. And the father says, you go, you can be God. And then as the father watches that son wander away, there comes a point when the son returns. But you're also enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. You know, independent living changes the way that we think. It distorts the way that we think. It actually twists our morals. It twists our values. It affects us deeply in our value system. In uh, the New Testament, uh, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 4, this is um, 18, it says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that it is in them due to their hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so to indulge in every kind of impurity would continual lust for more. Now I think of godly man, a good man, a beautiful man called David, who was lured and enticed to go back to the tree. And I said to the people at Epinara, leave the tree. Don't go back to that tree. Stay at the tree of life. For David, on one occasion, he got caught in a world of sin and um, lured and enticed by lust. And uh, after he was found out and made confession, he wrote a beautiful psalm, Psalm 51, which would have to be one of the most beautiful pieces of literature in the New Testament. And he said this, Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Wash me, cleanse me, and remove my sin. It's very interesting that the word iniquity, he uses three words actually in, in Psalm 51 to describe his own fallenness. He uses the word sin, which is to fall short of God's glory. He uses the second one, which is transgression, which is to wander off the right path and go on uh, the wrong path. And we're confronted with sin every day. We're confronted with the temptation to transgress, to wander. But the third one is the most confronting, which is the word iniquity. Iniquity actually means to bend something out of shape. It's to take something beautiful and to smash it up so it's unrecognizable. You know, the devil wants to do that with you. He wanted, Jesus wanted you to be born, but sin will twist. Sin will distort. Sin will steal. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and life more abundant. Can I, can I, are you still there? I mean, this is, is past tense, this one. Did, did you notice? This is how you were. Can you remember? If you, if you love Jesus, can you remember how you were? How life was? Uh, have you been tempted to go back to that to the kind of the pit, to the, you know, the pig pen, as the story of the prodigal son. Now, that's how you were. But is it how you are? Some of you in the room haven't moved from this tree. Today, I'm going to ask you, in fact, God commands you to repent of that way of life and stop following the Satan and all of his ways and to repent and turn to Jesus, alienated, from God, separated from the life of God, enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. 
The second step, the, the next verse in unpacking the gospel here, it's the most beautiful thing, which is present tense. It's you have. It says he, he has. He has. It's wonderful to know that he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body on, uh, through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. <clears throat> Reconcile means to settle and resolve differences. That's what it means. It has great uh, significance in the accounting world when you're trying to reconcile uh, an account and you need to uh, get, get the figures balancing up. That's reconciliation. I'm not an accountant by a long shot, but I know Anne is, and uh, Jones is a... There's a few in the room that love numbers. I, I, I don't understand. I think it's a disease. Not, not really, but anyway, just that value those who love numbers. Uh, it's just not my particular passion. But it's also a relational term. It means sorting out. It, it, it's resolving differences of broken relationship. And that's what God wants to do through the person of Christ, is to reconcile us to the Father so that we might experience eternal life, to deal with the sin debt, to deal with the darkness of soul and to release us from its penalty. Uh, you know, we look at that beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Isn't that beautiful? But the, it goes on to say, it follows, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. The cross stands between the trees. The only way that you can get from here to here is through the cross. The central key, a tree, the Christ, the center of history, hanging between heaven and hell on your behalf to reconcile you, to deal with your sin debt and to release you from its penalty. That is good news. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Verse 20 of chapter 1 says, and through, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this morning we're going to be sharing communion together and, and celebrating this extraordinary uh, act of kindness that God loved the world and you that much that he gave his only son, Jesus, on your behalf, full payment for all your wrongdoing in order to take you from death into life, from hell into heaven, and to receive this amazing gift of forgiveness of sins. It was a joy just a, a week ago, or it was a week ago, was it Monday? A week ago, a lady came by Kapalaba, and she was from Papua New Guinea, and she had a very strong Christian background, but she was very lost. But what a joy it was in the mall to lead her to Jesus. What a joy it was to see the release of the burden of sin that came over her after she repented of her sin. It's just the beginning. It's enjoying this beautiful tree, and I love the fruit bill that you put on here. It's very exciting, I'm sure. It may have been a little bit more in Bible times, but anyway. But to receive the gift of eternal life and the release of all the wrongdoing. Jesus was falsely accused. There were seven trials, uh, sorry, six trials, three political trials, three religious trials. The greatest acts of perjury taking place, which in Old Testament law would require death. But the amount of stories and lies that were told about Jesus, innocently condemned to die on a cross. What for? For you. There is no other way. You can't buy eternal life. You can't buy forgiveness. You can't go to a shop and say, well, you know, Pastor Graham, if I live a good life, sorry, not good enough. But what do I mean if I go to church every Sunday? Well, that well, it's lovely to come to church, to keep coming. That doesn't get you into heaven. It's only Jesus' blood, which was the payment for your wrongdoing, 
will get you to heaven. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the closeout line, the final words spoken that have echoed down through the last 2,000 years, words of great authority and victory, it is finished. It's an accounting word. Reconciliation. The debt has been paid in full. They used to use it on documents and write tetelestai, the Greek word. It's been paid for in full, and your sins have been paid for in full. Can I hear a hallelujah on that one? It's so good to be released. But have you? Today we want to land the plane and say, you know where I stand. It's not there anymore. I have given up that way of life. That will lead me to darkness and destruction. And I'm prepared to surrender and come to the Lord Jesus and acknowledge that he paid for my wrongdoing on the cross. It is finished. And we come and humbly confess our sin and repent of our wrongdoing and bow our knee and come to Christ. Well, I was just at our family devotions last night. I actually read a little story of Arthur Stace who uh, in the 1930s was a drunk and alcoholic kind of guy. And he went and, uh, and went to get some, uh, some food, actually, from a kind of like a food bank place uh, in Sydney. And he went in for a rock cake, but he left with the rock of ages. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> and he gave his life. He went out into the park after hearing the gospel. He knelt down and he never touched alcohol again. And he wrote the word eternity 500,000 times in Sydney. Inarticulate, uneducated, converted drunk. Never touched alcohol again. He left it behind. The world behind me. The cross before me. If I become a friend of the world, I become an enemy of God. What's all this about? What does God want us to to do, he wants to present us holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Ah, uh, well, the, the language here is very strong, and it's kind of backed up by Ephesians 1 verse 4. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy. It's a bit of a scary word, isn't it? Does it mean you've got to be like a super saint? No, it means you've got to be set apart. Holiness means to set apart. I'm identifying here with the tree of life. I've made up my mind. I'm through with that. I've come to the Lord Jesus and repented of my right to be king. My, I'm abdicating my right to rule and to be the boss of my life. I want Jesus to be the king of my life. I want to be holy. I want to be set apart for Jesus. Has that been your story? Has that really happened yet? Is there still a compromise? So it's sort of a, you know, you've got the gift of eternal life. You've come to the cross, but it's really an act of the will that we identify ourselves with Jesus, holy and blameless. Peter writes, be holy because he is holy. He also wrote, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And what a joy to belong to God. What a joy to have our sins forgiven. To welcome Jesus to be the king. So that we might be presented without blemish. Without fault. In the passage in Ephesians 5, talking about marriage, it talks about how the power of God's word to deliver us from spots, blemishes, and wrinkles. Sin starts with a spot. Just a small thing. And that grows into a blemish, which is bigger. But what's a wrinkle? A wrinkle is a way of life. I've got quite a lot of them here. They call them crow's feet. Is that what it is? Anybody else got some? Oh, no, you're good. 
it's just uh, it's smiling. It's just I've done it for 70 years. I've just got a few wrinkles there. It's that perpetual way of life that's now become normal. And it's now a wrinkle. And God wants to deliver you and me from spots, blemishes, and wrinkles, habits. And Jesus can do that. He wants to present us without blemish and without blame, free from all guilt, free from all accusation. No charge, no guilt, case dismissed. Amen? All your wrongdoing, all your wrong. You say, oh, Pastor Graham, if you only knew my story, what I've done, I don't need to know. If you've confessed your sin and you've repented of your sin and owned up and taken full responsibility of it at the cross and you've asked Jesus Christ to be your king, you are free. Your sins have been washed away. As far as the east is from the west, you they'll be never remembered again. And some Christians come to me and say, you know, Graham, I've struggled with forgiving myself. I did this five years ago. I thought it might be the unforgivable sin. I, and I've said, if, if that was the case, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. The blood of Christ is adequate for your sin. Let him wash you and accept it by faith. In a few moments, we're going to have communion. This is a declaration that gone, 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 gone. My sins are gone, buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. As far as the east is from the west, God says, I'll remember your transgressions no more. And sometimes we repeat our offense, and God says, what are you talking about? It's all been forgotten. You are forgiven without blemish, clear conscience, completely free. What a wonderful thing it is to be reconciled at the cross. Finally, as we drop into this last significant truth, is that we're called, this is past tense, this is how we used to live. This is our present reality that we've been reconciled to God, that we're no longer enemies of his, that our, our consciences have been set free we are a forgiven people. We are a reconciled people. We are without blemish. We are holy and set apart for him to live for him now and not ourselves. Alienated, reconciled, and now continuing. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't get sidetracked. I came up late last night and my children, uh, my family said, Graham, you, Dad, so you didn't call me Graham, Dad, you just missed the greatest race of all. Did anybody watch it, that race of that bloke that ran, was it 1500? Apparently it was good. Was, did anybody, was it a good race? No, oh, I'd love the marathon. What about that? The, the three Australian girls and that final girl that ran home and you see the determination, and you see the endurance. Has that inspired you, that stuff? I just wish I could get fit. That'd be a nice thing. Makes me tired, sitting on my couch watching it. Keep going! If you continue, it's almost a, a condition now, having left this, having received this, now we have the tree of life. You commit to continuing in your faith, established and firm. You know that word established comes straight out of uh, Matthew chapter 5 as Jesus closes out the Sermon on the Mount and he tells the story of two people, one who built his house on the sand and the other who built his house on the rock. That's what the word is here. It's to be established is to lay that foundation. The rains came, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house. But the man who built his house established on the rock, that's the same word here, did not fall. You will have storms, will you? 
Have you had a few? Roland, you've had a few, haven't you, mate? But you've got a smile on your dial today, which is so good, like a cracked watermelon. It's so good <laughs> to be free. You know, we deal with these storms as they come, and we keep going. But it's also to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our labor is not in vain. We just keep going. We're God's people. We've left that. That's got no hope. Darkness and destruction coming to Jesus, allowing him to be the king, to reinstating him as king. We're going to do that in just a moment in communion. And we're going to say, thank you, God. Just affirming, dear Lord, at communion that I want to continue in my faith. Firm and established, grounded, committed, no 50% stuff. Yield it. Living for him. Wonderful words of commitment. You know, commitment to not moving from the hope held out in the gospel. What a wonderful hope we have. This world is without hope. We're on the brink of what some people say could be you know, a third world war. I'm not a pessimist, I'm very super optimist, but the world is in the balances right now. It's a very, very, um, a very, very challenging season for our world, but, but we've got hope and, um, you know, it's a, a, a gift of hope. We're not moving uh, from the gospel. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. It's an amazing hope held out in the gospel. Not only does he change us in this life to be conformed to his image and likeness, but one day we're going to be with him and see him as he really is. His beautiful verse in 1 John 3, 2, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. Jesus is coming again. We don't talk uh, enough about heaven. Uh, we, we, that's where our destination, I say to people at the plaza, have you got your destination sorted yet? Well, Graham, I'll sort it out when I get there. I said, mate, it's too, it's too late. If you want to go to Dolby, you've got to go to Dolby. If you want to go to Longreach, you go to Longreach. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to go to heaven. Have you figured it out yet? Have you? Is it sorted? You've got life. It's the hope of the gospel, eternal life. And Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back for his church. And we're going to be with him forevermore. And we will be changed. There won't be any sorrow or sighing. There won't be any sickness or death. There actually won't be any marriage. Sorry, in heaven. Some of you might say, well, that's not a bad thing, Graham, to be honest. No, sorry. But there won't be any marriage in heaven. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Marriage is a very good thing. Said it already. But heaven. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and all that after that we who are still alive will be and left will be caught up together with him in the air to meet with the Lord in the airs. So we will be with the Lord forever and ever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Glory. 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 Changed. New creation. But we will see him as he really is. I wanted to land and ask you the question, where are you? I mean, we want every one of you, please, please, step into the kingdom, give up your selfish ambitions, die to yourself, let Jesus be king, and there are people in this audience today You've never done business with God on the issue of your sin. Get it done today. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. 
And we need to deal with this as the wrath of God was poured out on his son. The Lord Jesus Christ bore your sin and shame on the cross, completely naked. Who could imagine it was back to the Garden of Eden again, but he was bearing your sin and his body on the tree. So I need to recognize that my sin has been completely paid for. Can I ask the question, are you still here? Please, would you repent and stop living for yourself and stop living a sinful life, a self-centered life, and come to the Lord Jesus today. Come to the cross today. Lay down your sin and your life and all that you are at the feet of Jesus today. He's not a bully. He's an absolutely gracious and kind God, and he will take you as you are with all your brokenness. Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, and he's making something beautiful out of my life. Fanny Crosby was a blind lady. She wrote 8,000 hymns. In 1873, she wrote this classic. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Is it yours? Is it your story? If it is, there should be a smile on your face for the certainty of where you are going. It's glory now. And for all eternity. Where are you? Have you moved? Did you come to Christ and move back again? Is this sort of to and froing resolved in your spirit and heart? Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. What I'd like to do is close out. In a moment, we're going to have communion together. It's going to be a, a very, it's both a joyful but solemn occasion. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to give your life to Christ if you've never done that before. And um, to do that means that you need to move in your heart. If you don't have one of these communion glasses, uh, just raise your hand. Matt, I don't know if you could grab the communion things. If anyone didn't get one of these, we'll distribute them. We've got them here. Uh, just keep your hand up and we're going to give them to you. But communion is a very serious and sobering moment where we're identifying where we stand. If you have never given your life to Christ before, God actually commands you to repent and stop living for yourself and start living for him. You need to deal with the issues of your own sin and repent and turn to him. And you can simply do that in prayer. But before I actually lead in prayer, I'm going to invite Tanya and the team to bring us a really beautiful song. Um, I love you, Lord, isn't it, Tanya? Is that? I come to the altar, which is a kind of a, a, a beautiful song of um, dedication. Uh, are you hurting and broken? within, overwhelmed with the weight of your sin, and you need to come. After we sing this song, I'm going to lead in two prayers. The first prayer is for those who need to give their lives to Christ, and you need to move. You need to move today. Don't delay. You will be a fool if you do. You don't know how long you've got. I was very moved some 50 years ago when a friend of mine said, I'll wait till I retire. And two weeks later, he was killed. Don't play games with God. Do business with him. He paid for your sin. Then secondly, I'm going to pray for those of us who are Christians, but you kind of feel quite frail at the moment. 
beaten up by the world and stuff around you. Now we need to stand firmly in our rock-solid faith. So we're going to sing this song, which is a song of reflection. Just a question, where are you? A question asked to Adam in the garden. He asked today, where are you? Uh, where are you? You find yourself still here, controlled by sin, walking in darkness, struggling with your own brokenness. Are you here? Are you ready? to come to the cross, to lay it all down, to let God take you at the altar and yield your life completely to him. Maybe some of you have backslidden, you've gone back and forward. You need to resolve the issue to continue and take your stand at the tree of life. No turning back. And so I'd like to lead in a prayer. It's a costly prayer, but far more costly if you stay there. You know where you are. The Holy Spirit's in the room. He's already speaking. And our act of taking communion will seal it. After we pray, we're going to eat and drink. Then I'm going to invite those of you who pray the first prayer to come and stand at the tree of life over here. And to identify where you stand as a new child of God and also for others on the other side who've come back to reaffirm their faith to continue, you can come as well. Just now in a moment of prayer, could we just do this, this solemn, sacred moment as we kneel before the cross, we come to that altar, giving up our self-centeredness and sin, alienated, reconciled, continuing with God into heaven. Just right where you are. You know who you are. God is already knocking at your door. You'll be very aware of his voice. You'll be very aware of the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart. Amazing, isn't it? God singles you out and says, I'm speaking to you. I want you to give your life to Jesus today. If you just join me in prayer, this will be your prayer of uh, repentance and surrender and God will set you free just right where you are say this with me in your heart Lord Jesus Christ I know you're speaking to me I've done many things wrong I've done many things wrong. I'm absolutely guilty before a holy God. It's a bit overwhelming for me, dear God, that you would actually love me and that you would send Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross for my sin my sin my sin I really deserve to go to hell sin has been really hard on me the devil has harassed me and I live with pain because of my wrong decisions, my selfish decisions, my rebellion. And today, today, I just come with a sum total of who I am in desperate need of your blood to wash away my sin. I turn from the tree of death. I turn from the devil. I turn from my sinful past. Jesus Christ, I surrender. I want you to be my king. I've wasted so much time. 
I just come to you. I just come to you. Please wash me right now and release me from my sin debt. Your blood is powerful. Give me a clean heart and a clean mind. And I welcome you, Jesus, to come into my life right now by faith as I surrender. Holy Spirit, come on me now. Give me your power to live for you. Thank you. <laughs> what a relief. What a relief. I'm yours. Forever. Thank you. Those of you who are Jesus followers, but somehow life has been so hard for you, and you want to rededicate yourself to continue. Maybe you've been sitting and struggling and stuck. That brick wall. And you want to be dedicating your life to him. Just say this with Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower. I'm, I've been following you for, for some time now, but I, I have just so, I've so struggled with discouragement. I've believed the lies of the evil one. I've tried so hard. But in my own strength, I now repent and yield my life to you. I give you my pain. I give you my challenges. Wash me with your precious blood. I submit to you as king. I bring all those things to you. Thank you, Lord. I rededicate my life to you today. Please fill me with your spirit. I want to stay at the tree of life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God is good. We're going to take communion right now. If you'd like to take your little, your little emblems before you, and the top, it takes a little bit to peel back that. But if you're not a Christian, don't eat this. It will mean nothing to you. This is for Jesus followers. If you've just prayed that first prayer with me, this is going to be your first communion. It's going to be a great moment for you. Amen. Oh, love this. In just a moment, the Lord Jesus, he said, when you, you, know, when you get together, I want you to remember what I did for you. We might shoot up on the screen, show that uh, slide which we mustn't forget. It's, it's up there now. Um, you know, the agony that Jesus went through, that he gave his body for you. This little wafer is a symbol of his body. And we're identifying by remembering that he did it for you. Jesus said, as often as you meet, do this in rem remembrance of me. Let's eat together, shall we, in thanksgiving in our hearts. Let's eat. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your body for us. It was your physical death on the cross that you bore our sin. You took the wrath of God on our behalf. You died in our place. Thank you for your precious body. Thank you, Lord. And now, Lord, we thank you for the, the juice, the wine, which symbols your blood. We thank you for the power of your blood to wash away sin. As we drink together, I pray for that incredible sense of joy that our sins have been forgiven and that we will continue to be steadfast in our journey at the tree of life. Thank you, Lord. Let's drink together, shall we? Let's drink.
you like to spend just a moment of thanksgiving in your hearts quietly? Right where you are, you want to speak out your prayers, it's right where you are. We're going to finish up with a great song in a moment, a song of encouragement and victory. And just have your little moment just quietly with God. want to commit all your family to the Lord and your friends. Well, thank you, Lord, for this precious time. We thank you, Lord, for our release. And I pray for a great joy to flood in our hearts right now because of this beautiful hope that you've given to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, can I hear an amen? Amen. We are free. You are free, and you are free indeed. So if you prayed the first prayer with me, I want you to come to the tree here, if you would. As we sing, just come. If you rededicated the second prayer, you pray, just come up to one side. We'd love to pray for you. This is a celebration moment, and we want to stand with you and rejoice together. Bring your little communion cup. We're going to put it at the tree as well to say our thank you. So let's all stand, shall we? And just come quickly. Don't delay. This is a great moment for us to celebrate and the team will lead us off in song.